This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I'm here in person in New York. I feel like I just have to say from the start with Richard Lawson. So happy to be here, Terry. <laughs> I feel like we're just doing an NPR thing. It's, it's weird. We're at a table with like proper mics, you know, across uh, from each other. Look how far we've come. Uh, and then joining us from California, as always, uh, Rebecca Ford. Hi. And David Canfield. Hello. Guys, I dream of getting us all in one place to record this podcast. It'll happen. It'll happen. It's been it's been a complicated couple years, but here we are at least getting halfway there. Um, and I'm in New York uh, partly because it is the New York Film Festival and there are so many exciting movies playing here, many of them having played elsewhere already. But as we talked about last week a little bit, I think New York is kind of a, a chance to rewrite the narrative on some of these. So we'll get into the New York Film Festival and particularly how the Best Actress race is taking shape around it. Uh, and we'll talk about new releases like Amsterdam. Uh, but first, I think we have to get into the breaking news of the week, something we sort of anticipated last week when rumors started breaking that Apple might have uh, something else out this year. They might pull something off of their shelf of their big prestigious movies. But I don't think think any of us actually thought they would make it Emancipation, the Antoine Fuqua-directed Will Smith-starring movie. Uh, David, you wrote about it yesterday when the news broke. Uh, Why is Apple going ahead and putting Emancipation out? Well, there's a few... um, you know, routes you can take (laughs) with with (laughs) why they did this. I think the generous reading is that it's a movie that they really believe in. They don't have a very you know, rich slate this year anyway. And so it makes perfect sense to release it um, at the end of the year and just see where it goes. Uh, and, and you know, haters be damned. Will Smith <laughs> haters be damned. My feeling is a little bit more cynical, which is they do have Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon in the wings, as, as has been talked about a great yeah. deal of late. And And my feeling on the movie is, this movie is... If they really did believe in it to the extent that certain trades really want us to believe that they <laughs> believe in it, I just I don't quite understand why they would release it this year because it's a near guarantee it won't perform as well as it could, you know, at its hmm. best. Because um, of Will Smith or because, because of Yeah, because of Will Smith, because of the controversy around it. The Hollywood Reporter had a piece today where you had a bunch of Academy sources saying they will not vote for him. Uh, I thought he looked very good in the teaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very good actor, so that's not surprising. And it's a really, you know, rich role. But I, it's hard for me to see how Apple would navigate that other than the fact that they don't really have anything else this year. And so it does make sense to see how far it can go in a year where they don't have a ton at stake anyway. 
um, and then you know clear the decks for what will surely be a much stronger 2023. I also just don't know if waiting a year would have made a difference for how the town feels about the Will Smith incident. That's totally fair. Yeah. You know, Mm. like, yes, yes. Everyone has short memories and people do have comebacks, but I think it's going to take a lot longer than a year. And then they're not going to wait two years or five years to release this movie. So yeah, it almost feels like why not just get it done because nothing's going to change if they wait for a year and they do have several very promising titles for next year anyway. I mean, it seems clear to me that everyone would rather not talk about the slap anymore. Like that, that's uh, a universal yes, truth. But how people feel about Will Smith in the town overall has been a little less clear to me. And maybe the fact that they premiered it in D.C. Um, with a bunch of uh, influential mm-hmm. uh, black political groups is it's telling about how people feel about him on the other side of the country. I mean, do you, do you feel like people are just really ready for Will Smith to take a break uh, and not just to stop talking about the slap? I think it depends on how the movie is marketed and what kind of publicity is done for it. But the vibe I'm getting is certainly that there is not a lot of demand for a Will Smith tour, publicity tour right now. And especially one that is about awards, given the entire reason for his sort of position in Hollywood right now. I mean, there's been a good amount of reporting at this point on the fact that a good chunk of the of Hollywood is not, you know, ready to welcome him back. Can certainly debate the merits of that, but that's just kind of the reality right now. And I totally agree with you, Katie. I think that the decision to have that kind of soft, friendly unveiling in DC was very smart and also very telling about where he stands in Hollywood right now, which is, you know, on pretty shaky ground. Yeah, you imagine if he was coming back with, like, another Bad Boy sequel or just, like, a big, like, more popcorn movie, that the path would be really different because it's, you know, Emancipation is the kind of movie that we talk about. Like, it exists now in the current box office climate to be an awards player. And so when you immediately have to head in that direction, it changes things. Yeah. Richard, what did you think of that trailer? Mm, I weirdly had a similar thought about it that I did about Women Talking, which is like, why is it filmed that way? (laughs) You're not the first person who said that. It looks like, I mean, the joke I made about the Women Talking thing was it looks like a a flashback in a Zack Snyder movie. (laughs) And like, this kind of feels the same way. Um, So I was a little hung up on that. I don't know, part of me with the Smith of it all thinks that, is there any chance that sort of rushing the sort of renormalization of Will Smith is a good idea? It's like, you know, less than a year after the slap, here's a huge movie that he's in that's kind of undeniable from this respected director, like huge, you know, distributor. Um, so just deal with it. He's back. He didn't, he never left actually, you mm-hmm. know, and then people will just say, okay, like, and you know, I, I don't know. I almost wonder if the long wait, like the sort of crouch in silence and sort of shame and, you know, guilt, if that can exacerbate the problem over however many months or years. And so this is a a different attempt is sort of more like accelerationist like here's how you accept will smith again on a shorter time you know yeah time frame yeah i think it's good for him i mean i i think that it really only helps him even if the climb to an actual oscar nomination for him is very steep this year it does do exactly that it 
makes it so he gets the first one out of the way and Mm -hmm. that whatever coverage comes of that. And, you know, there will be constant reminders that he is banned from the Academy and he cannot attend the Oscars no matter how the film does. And he is not a member of the Academy anymore. You know, those things are going to get brought up again and again, but that was going to happen whenever his first big project came out. So yeah, from his perspective, I'm sure it's better to be sooner rather than later. And as bros recently taught us, if something has that sort of aura of like weight to it, like or importance or firstness mm, or whatever, mm-hmm. that's a lot for a movie. And so I think this way they're just like, no, we're, we're not, you know, self-referencing like the the Will Smith of it all at all. We're just talking about the issues the movies is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is yeah. about, and like that's it. I think it's smart. I'm so curious. None of us have seen the movie yet, obviously, but I think for me the question is, what happens if it's really, really good? Because mm-hmm. I would hope that you know, Anton Fuqua would remain a part of the conversation, even if that's in the director race, which obviously has not had a lot of black directors nominated in its history. And, and I, I, if the film is great, I just hope the Will Smith of it all doesn't ruin its chances in other categories as well. I mean, we want to talk about best actors later, but Will Smith entering the best actor race, like that's the one you want to try to get into. It's yep. the strangest yeah. and kind of the least competition. Like it's, I, I think I agree with David that, it's a pretty steep climb to be nominated, but if there's there are stranger campaigns already out there, you never know. It is the race right now that is worth trying your hand at. Absolutely. And if the movie's <laughs> well, especially because if the movie's good, you know, you talk about stuff like The Whale or The Sun, and these are not movies that I expect to go very far outside of their actors. It always helps, as Will Smith knew just earlier this year, to be in a stronger overall contender. And the best actor is quite light on that this year. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Uh, well, let's talk about some movies that we have seen and then also the Best Actress Race has promised because New York Film Festival is underway. Uh, it kicked off with a movie that I don't expect to figure into the Best Actress Race, and I guess the question is where, what its Oscar prospects are in general. Um, White Noise opened the festival just as it opened Venice. Uh, Richard, you saw White Noise in Venice, but and you did not go. You did not see the movie twice, but you were at the um, you know the party afterwards, so mm-hmm. you were kind of there to catch some of the buzz. It doesn't seem like the reception on this movie changed all that much between festivals. No, no. I mean, I saw, I talked to a couple of people. So the the opening night party, which is also just you know run by the festival and Lincoln Center, it's you know the kickoff to the whole this whole month long New York Film Festival. So people are there for the movie specifically, but also for the festival. So you get kind of a a range of chatter from like Netflix people to people who just are like patrons of the arts in New York City. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I heard some effusive things here and there, but I think mostly people were like, you know, I would say, oh, hi, good to see you. What'd you think of the movie? Uh, they'd say, oh, you know, maybe a sentence or two, and then we would move on. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel, what for whatever reason, to be grabbing the discourse at all. And we had talked about on this show a couple weeks ago about how New York Film Festival feels like a big one for this movie because it's Bombback, this is his home. Even though the book is not set or the, the movie is not set in New York City, there is a very sort of New Yorker sort of sensibility to it in some ways. But um, so that was the high hope for the film. I don't know that those were met, but I think probably Netflix internally has a better sense of that than I do. David, you finally got to see it. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you, if you love Noah Baumbach and you appreciate the movie as a real exercise for him, that there's a lot to take from it. It's a very, it's a, it's a messy movie, certainly. Um, but I found a lot to appreciate about it. Uh, I did hear from some sources around the movie that they felt like it played better in New York. And I think there are certainly some areas to target, uh, for consideration as a really strong score. The end credit sequence is the best part of the movie. I saw it in LA at a screening and nobody left until the lights went up, which very rarely happens. Yeah. Um, it does also happen for tar, but in a different reason, I think for a different <laughs> reason. Um, but yeah, I think the weird challenge that this movie has faced at festivals is opening both Venice and New York, because it's not the kind of movie as we already saw in Venice. And to Richard's point is already evident in New York that can sustain that. It's not going to be the most rapturously rapturously received movie of any festival. And it's also not going to be the one that provokes the most debate necessarily or the most conversation. It's um, it's probably also Tar. (laughs) We'll get there. Yeah. Well, in in both cases, Tar followed it up quite quickly and I think with much more energy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's one of the challenges of, of opening a festival and being a movie like that. But I think it'll find its fans. I, I just don't know how far that can go awards-wise, but I wouldn't say that there are... I, I would say that there are areas where it can definitely be competitive. It seems like not talking about in context of awards is, like, the right way to handle it at this point. Yes. Like, it's a, it's a movie that just, like... You know, and not every movie needs to be part of this crazy circus. So, I mean, Netflix That's is putting it out. a great point. <laughs> like, Netflix is putting it out late this year, so, like, a lot of stuff will have already come and gone by then. So, it and maybe it'd be kind of the thing that... On Twitter over the holidays when everyone's home with their parents, they're just fighting about. Um, but that, that seems like a good fate for a white noise movie, actually. <laughs> it happened with Marriage Story. Let's not forget. <laughs> That's true. Marriage Story really did have, like, its meme peak at Christmas. Yep. Wow, they, they know what they're doing there. I didn't think about that. 
Um, well, premiering the day after White Noise at New York Film Festival and kind of a, a, a world premiere, so it had kind of more excitement around it, was Till. Um, Richard, did you go to the big premiere of that? Or was that no, you were I, at the press screening? Uh, no, I saw it earlier um, that week. Okay. Um, so I didn't get to see what the whole in-the-room reaction was, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's a, you know, it's it's a tough one. It was really tough to write about, I think. Mm. And I, I don't know that I necessarily did the best job because I was trying to consider... You know, the the qualms that a lot of people online had when the first kind of announcement was made about the movie and then the first kind of teaser trailer, whatever it was, where people were like, we, we don't need to see this. Like, this is more just like black pain on screen for white audiences to kind of like what we're going to finally get people to stop being racist because of this movie. You know, what's the point? Is it worth it? And and I tried to kind of put those in my review. And because and I, I do think that there are times when the movie, uh, which is sensitively directed, um, just can't help but do the thing of of showing the trauma, you know, mm. and 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 sort of mine that yes for instructive, thematic messaging purposes, but also just for like film value, like it, you know, it, this is a, a you know above all else a work of art, and so I don't know, it's a tough one. Um, I kind of ended the review by saying like I totally get why people would not want to see this movie, and it's totally understandable. That said, Daniel Deadweiler really is great in it, um, and she does a lot. Uh, with the director to complicate the portrait of of maybe Till Mobley and um, to show both of you know to show all facets of her personality and, and sort of how how she experienced this horrible thing that happened to her son. So um, if for no other reason, she certainly is worth seeing. Um, and the rest of the movie, you know, is done. I would say okay. Huh. It makes it sound like it's going to be a little bit harder of a road even for a really strong performance, if this is a movie that, like, people are hesitating about seeing it and, like, maybe they still won't see it. I'm hoping word of mouth will help this film, at least for people to seek out Danielle's performance. Um, Yes, it's not an easy watch of a film, but what she does, I think, is just so powerful and so phenomenal. And and there are many ways that I think this story could have been told that would have been the wrong way to tell it. And I do think they found a, a, a balance in the way they tell the story. But I, I think we're going to have to sort of wait and see how people take in the movie. Um, every Oscar season has movies that are hard to watch. And I feel like we hear that line every season. Oh, I just, mm-hmm. I, I can't watch this hard movie or whatever. And and people do see them and, and find value in those performances. So I, I feel like she... I feel like people are going to be talking about this performance for quite a while once they see it. Mm. Especially because I I would imagine for a lot of people, you know, who didn't see The Harder They Fall or just don't recognize her from that because she's totally different. Oh, my God. I didn't recognize her after seeing her on Station Eleven. I couldn't believe it. Right. Yeah. Or people maybe, you know, a lot of people didn't watch Station Eleven. Like this is kind of like, I mean, and and look, she has she's done television before. She's not coming out of nowhere. Like she people who watched, you know. Uh, the shows that she was on TV, they, they would know her. But, like, I would imagine for a lot of people, they're like, who is this? Mm-hmm. Like, where did she come from? She's now the lead of this big and, you know, expensive-looking movie. Um, I mean, I think that uh, Chinyonye Chukwu, who directed it, like, she did a great job of making probably a smaller budget look, make it look like a kind of big period piece movie. Not, again, that we should necessarily care about aesthetics in a movie about Emmett Till's murder, but there it is. Um, it's, it's filmed cinematic art. Yeah, yeah. aesthetic yeah. elements. So she, you know, it's just like it's kind of this bolt out of the blue, like this huge performance from this actor that is not very well known. 
and uh, I think was very wisely cast in that way. You know, I think that one of the other problems that a lot of these biopic movies can run into, it's like, oh, we're just watching an actor X that we know, just like do a voice or do a thing. And that's really more the point than that the story is. And so ha- using someone whose name is, is a little bit less uh, known, um, I think is, helps, it helps the movie be that much more immersive. Yeah, I, I think she's a real discovery. The word I, I would use to describe my reaction to her performance uh, watching the movie is undeniable. And I think that is mm. why she'll be nominated at least. Um, it is a pretty extraordinary thing that she does in this movie because there's just, you know, I thought Richard, you put it really beautifully and in, in your review and just talking about it now, because there's so much weight to the movie. There's so much it has to navigate. I think it does pretty successfully, not perfectly. And she just kind of takes all of that on in a really, really complicated and complete performance. And I was just incredibly moved by it. And I really have not been able to shake it every time I think about it, uh, in particular scenes as well. And I think other people will agree when they see the movie. It's also, you know, the, the question of, you know, will people see this movie you know, nobody really saw Tammy Faye last year <laughs> by that me- <laughs> by that metric. Or Judy the year or, before. Or, yeah, and I mean, yes, those are more famous actors, but I think there also is a lot of value at the Oscars uh, in being a discovery. Um, and this mm. category, which we can get in- into more, is so stacked with big names doing great work. And I think she really stands out. Uh, in a unique way for being such a breakout. Um, I thought she was phenomenal on Station Eleven. We talked to her on this podcast for that performance. Um, but this is obviously um, a career-making moment. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see the journey of the movie. I don't think, you know, given the quality of the reviews so far, which are pretty strong, and the reception seemed quite warm in New York, uh, I have a hard time seeing it would be, you know, unseen enough to hurt her. Or put another way, it should not be. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm pulling up my Best Actress Wikipedia page, one of my favorite uh, websites. Um, and it's not every year that you get a discovery in there with a bunch of heavy hitters. Like last year, you know, Kristen Stewart was the only one who had never been nominated before, and she's very famous. But the year before, Andre Day and Vanessa Kirby, or Yelita mm-hmm. Aparicio, or you go back and Kevon Janae Wallace and Emmanuel Riva, two discoveries to Hollywood in very different ways. Um, there, There is that spot that I think we get distracted by previous Oscar winners when they're in the race. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, it's them. And then it, it can surprise you in some ways. I think that's a really good point. Ruth Nigga might be a good um, mm-hmm. comparison point for Loving. She'd been kind of around. Uh, the movie didn't fully hit, but her performance got so much attention uh, that she was able to break through. I think she was the movie's only nomination, or at least one of the few for it. Yeah. Um, this, to me, feels in that category. Well, undeniable, I think, is what you need to break into the Best Actress race at this point. That's how you describe Daniel Deadweiler. Because, you know, you go through our Friends at Gold Derby and everyone's kind of making their rankings. And it is basically the same six names, um, all in different permutations. Michelle Yeoh, Kate Blanchett, Olivia Coleman, Michelle Williams, Viola Davis, and Daniel Deadweiler. Is it really down to just six people already? Well, Babylon is yet to premiere. (laughs) Mm. I mean, you know, there's always... You know, that performance, that movie that you're not thinking of that can break through perhaps the loving, a little bit later. you might say. <laughs> yes, the, exactly. The loving or, um, you know, I think last year Parallel Mothers was one that was kind of percolating and written off for a little bit before she came back. Um, Penelope Cruz, that is. But in, in this year's case, I'm obviously excited for Emma Thompson. I think that's one of the best performances of the year. And I think there's a lot of 
other performances that deserve to be in the conversation. It's just a question of with that many, you know, top, top shelf performances competing, will they be able to find a way even into that conversation? I don't see a ton of non uh, of like international like you know yeah. to kind of I don't see a, a cruise out there. I mean, you know, you could make an argument for like Vicky Creeps and Corsage which keeps playing well enough at festivals, but like that movie is not going to I don't I mean, I think that um it's an interesting movie and she's great in it, but that doesn't have the same profile as, you know, Cruise doing another Almodovar movie, mm-hmm. you know. Um, which is kind of, I, I wish that that performance was out there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are many great performances from non-American or British films that I haven't seen that are worth, that are, you know, would be worth it. But none that I'm aware of yet that has that kind of profile. But, um, you know, it could happen. Well, yeah, I mean, thinking about the can holdovers that are at New York, like Broker or Decision to Leave. like it's boys. Lot, yeah, lot, yeah, those movies don't have, like, major <laughs> female roles. Yeah, I think we, I mean, we're we still waiting for Babylon and Margot Robbie in that, um, which should be... And we a, don't know if she's lead or supporting yet, right? We don't know for sure, but I would guess that that's a lead performance. And so she could definitely shake up that group. Um, but it's just feel like each of these actors has, actresses has already sort of solidified their narrative for the season. And it feels yeah. so mm-hmm. early for that. But like I can point to each one and like you just feel like they have such a solid path. Um to nomination. So it is just so stacked this year. There are definitely Ana de Armas fans <laughs> out yep. there, mm-hmm. even even for those who do not like Blonde. It is a, it's a performance that is, it's another one that stays with you for sure. I, yeah. I, I believe the movie is going to be far too divisive and particularly what the movie puts her through to make her, you know, ultimately cut that final five, but I could see her maybe getting a SAG nomination with that more, you know, populist leading group, say. Um, another unseen one is Naomi Aki in uh, playing Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. which the trailer <laughs> for that movie to me did not scream awards contender, but I, Naomi Aki is a fantastic actress and uh, Anthony McCartan is behind the screenplay who has written many an Oscar nominated biopic performance and uh, it's Whitney Houston, so I suppose she shouldn't be counted out either. The thing that I start wondering when you look at kind of this pack of people is when when the critics' awards start coming out, like who is going to get singled out over and over again? And I think the question for me is, do the critics all go with Kate Blanchett, who to me, you know, having just seen Tart near a film festival, like really knowing for sure seems very clearly at the top of the pack, or are the critics going to try to lift up somebody else? I, I'm not sure who the obvious person would be in that case. Well, Katie, I'm curious, since you just saw The Fablemans, where you think Michelle Williams would figure into something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good question. I mean, I, you know, I just hours ago saw The Fablemans, and as we talked about last week, I, you know, wrote about how her campaigning herself as lead actress was completely within her right and kind of thematically appropriate. And I think for the movie, it makes sense. The movie is about her in a mm-hmm. way that it is not about Paul Dano's character. And Obviously, different than the way it's about the lead character, the, the Spielberg stand-in. But I think she's a real force. She's kind of the, like, guiding spirit of the movie, almost, as, like, this, you know, boy comes of age and figure, figures out who he is in large part because of his mother. Um, and it's a really—it's a big performance. It's, like, big in a way that, like, Tar almost isn't. As weird as that sound, like, Tar has its big moments. But, you know, her character is, like, you know, bright and shining personality and has this, like, funny mid-century accent. Um, but that it's so consistent. It's not like she's just, like, doing big stuff just to get attention. Like, you understand who this woman is so well. And she doesn't have an Oscar, and Kate Blanchett has too. I, d- I don't know how much that will mean in the end. I also really wonder what critical support 
an award for Michelle Williams would be like or if like Michelle Yeoh would be more likely to get that. I would almost see it more as a battle between the Michelles because mm. I, I don't know. I The more that Tar plays and most of the reception has been really good, the more I just think that like I'm just thinking of those like Hollywood Reporter anonymous Oscar ballot <laughs> things. <laughs> the worst people and I can in Hollywood. <laughs> see in the Hollywood Reporter font, I can just see like people just trashing Tar. Hmm. Not because they think it's badly made, but like it it's says this about the industry. It says this, you know, because it's not about the film industry, but it's mm, a, kind it's of about, about the film yeah. industry. Um, and I, I think that it's, it's ideas about, like, art and artists and whatever might prove alienating. And something about Blanche's performance might feel too haughty, too pretentious, too arty, whatever. Um, and then you have this warm, interesting, varied performance from Michelle Williams in a, in a movie that's sure to be beloved, you know, she's playing Steven Spielberg's mom, for Christ's sake. Like, that feels like much more like, yeah, I want to vote for that. Or Michelle Yeoh, because that movie is going to be leaned on for a long while, in the, you know, going forward as like a movie that proves the box office viability. Mm-hmm. It's inventive. She's great. She's been around forever. She's great. So, like, I don't know. I kind of, in my mind anyway, based on very little, I just see kind of Blanchett sliding down that Interesting. that list a little bit. Yeah. It does feel like a movie that is the perfect pick for the late Oscar season backlash that always happens. We should yes. do an episode where we each predict which movie that's going to happen to. Yeah. <laughs> because well, I, yeah, now that Peter, not that Peter Fairley seems to be out of the game, we have to figure out what the Green Book is going to be. I'm predicting a, a harsh, don't worry, darling, backlash. backlash. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what? where I got that from. Yeah, yeah. So, it's been going so well for that movie so far. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I see what you're saying, Richard. I could totally see that happening. And and I do think when it comes to sort of those tributes that go on all season, we're going to see a lot for Michelle Yeoh. I think people have been waiting for her to have this moment, um, which will only help that her momentum and the film's momentum. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I see what you mean about Tara, Richard. Yeah, I encountered a little bit of that even in Telluride among some industry members. So it it it's there. It's been there. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of the year and performances. So... Not that I was surprised to hear that sentiment, but it definitely, you know, reframed my thinking of of her chances in the race a little bit. She is also just so possessive of the movie, and it, it is pretty hard to take your eyes off of her, even if you, you know, the movie leaves you feeling a little cold. Um, I do think she will do very well in the critic circuit. And the the big question for somebody like Michelle Williams is how much it's going to matter that it's not completely their movie, whereas Tar or Till uh, and mostly everything everywhere all at once are, are those actors' movies. The the other person I'm, I'm interested in in this discussion, just in terms of being able to make it through, is someone like Olivia Coleman, because that movie has, I think, stop being talked about pretty pretty firmly. It's kind of taking a break. It's not at New York Film Festival. It yeah. is going to be doing some of the smaller festival like um, at Film Fest 919 near me and a few other regional ones. So it'll it'll be out there. Yeah. She's really great in it. It, it, it does feel like that, mo- that movie's moment like it's going to come back somehow. Yeah. And I'm going to be leading the parade. Because <laughs> that movie's excellent. Uh, and she's quite good in it. Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing about Tar... 
is as again sorry to bring it up again but with bros it's like people don't want gay comedies and tar, that is you know <laughs> that is what tar, tar is tar got that, so many ways. laughs at Lincoln that's, Center that's, that's so a, funny. It's an, a very accurate statement it's a very funny movie there, there's a joke um, early on in tar about the word Kavanaugh and mm, yeah. there's a it's within the movie the audience is responding and then the Lincoln Center audience which is identical to the imaginary audience that she's <laughs> making in front of also it was yeah. it was wild yeah they should only screen that movie <laughs> at Alice Tully and Hall. like performance halls yeah um <laughs> you know but no I'm, I'm kidding obviously but uh, I I don't know I I just I hope I'm wrong about tar and I hope that and I hope that you're wrong Katie about or whoever is wrong about Empire of Light you know because I think that we have the opportunity to have best actress a lot of best actress nominees in movies that will also get other nominations, which, you know, just a few years ago, it used to be like, yeah. uh, you know... Last that, year. That was, uh, last year. Last yeah. year, okay. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> like it, None of them were in Best Picture nominees. It can be rare. And I think that we have presented in front of us, we just talked about four to five options mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. could actually go every actress in Best Actress is in a Best Picture nominee, mm-hmm. which would be, you know, something significant. Yeah. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. So before we end, I want to go back to one New York Film Festival movie that's also opening in theaters this week, which is Triangle of Sadness, the Palm Door winner. Um, Richard and Becky, you guys both saw it at Cannes. I caught it here at the New York Film Festival where it played great. Of course it did. Um, it doesn't have a Best Actress contender in it, um, but it's got a lot else going for it. And Rebecca, you were kind of floating the notion that um, that it's kind of riding a wave right now. It's going to open in, in theaters and maybe be uh, a lot more topic of discussion. Yeah, I mean, when I saw it in Cannes, I really liked it. Um but I did wonder if it would be able to sustain throughout the season because it's, you know, it, it has people who don't like it, obviously. But every screening that seems to happen, you know, the more I, I hear about people just loving this movie and have and having such a wild experience watching it in theaters, which I think a lot of people are looking for after a couple of years of not seeing a lot of movies in theaters. So I think it's going to be a movie that is more of a serious contender than I've first anticipated for sure it's definitely a movie that inspires audience response in a way that you might only get in jackass movies it was it was very vocal responses in my crowd i was very close to running out of the theater in the sequences in which i was enjoying in the sequences that i was enjoying the most so yeah um uh, we're running a, an interview this week with Dolly DeLeon, who um, really pops in the supporting actress role. And we talked about supporting actress la- last week, even with Michelle Williams out of it. It's still very competitive. But um, she's someone I think I would love to hear more people talking about. She's great, you know. And I've already seen people, like, who are either, you know, Filipino-American or in the Philippines, like, on Twitter be like, oh, my God, Dolly DeLeon is yeah. going to, like, get this. You know, and I think we—I I think that this is part of the mission. I was talking to some people kind of— I don't know, off the record, but like, obviously, we all we are all aware that the Academy is really trying to broaden its international reach. Uh, they said as much at a dinner I went to in Venice. And like, here's a great example. This mm-hmm. is an English language movie, but here's this actress who a lot of Americans have never seen before in a great role that walks off with the movie. Give her the nomination. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's well deserved and it would also make a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Thank you. Talk, talking about her role as a spoiler. That's the hardest part, though. Mm-hmm. I knew that people liked her in it, but I didn't know why. And I was really happy that, I, that the surprises of the movie were in store for me. But I'm interested to see how that goes. It's a movie that, I mean, aside from the obvious, from the trailer, is has not been spoiled, which is a nice change of pace, maybe, because I really was also, I went in really fresh, especially with um, where it goes. Uh, I, I think with Dolly, who totally deserves to be in the conversation, it's a, a very clear case of if the movie can break out, you know, get into the best picture conversation in any way, uh, that w- would be pretty necessary, because especially lately, the supporting categories have been so defined by you know, overall contenders like Jesse Plemons tagging on for Power of the Dog, Jesse Buckley getting in there at the end for The Lost Daughter when it was having a moment. So it does feel like that's where the momentum tends to go. And especially for an actor who is not generally on an awards radar, um, although perhaps should be, that that seems to be the path. So hopefully the movie can can get some momentum there. Well, next week we're going to talk about Best Director because it's such a funny category. And um, we've we've said before, like, every year there's a slot for some, like, international hotshot. And uh, Ruben Oslin, I think, is a very he's strong interested. Yeah, he's an slot. interesting choice for that. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. Find us in the meantime at VanityFair.com, on Twitter at HWD, or on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylas. And David. David Canfield, 97. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best description of what happens when two little gold men hosts are in the same room goes to David Canfield. Big names doing great work. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor. Let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. 